0: Welcome to the Shirley Shirley Show. Today, Shirley and I interview Brent Jacobson. He is running for the 29th Senate District in the state of Wisconsin. A little bio before on Brent's website. A central Wisconsin native, Brent was raised on the values of hard work and dedication. After working his way through business school and law school, Brent soon returned to the community where he was raised and lives today with his wife and their daughter. Brent's community has put its trust in his leadership, electing him mayor four times and choosing him as its representative to the county board. Outside of his love for public service, Brent is a small business owner maintaining a full-time law practice serving Central Wisconsin. For more information on Brent Jacobson, go to www.jacobsonforsenate.com, and that's J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N-F-O-R-S-E-N-A-T-E.com. Thank you, and I hope you enjoy the following interview. All right. Welcome to the Sherlyn Shirley Show. And today we have a great guest, Brent Jacobson. He's running for the 29th Senate District, and he's also the mayor of Mosinee at this time. Welcome to the show, Brent.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Well, thanks. We're glad you're here. And we just really kind of want to see why you're running. Find out what you do right now.
1: Sure. Well, I am born and raised in Mosinee, Wisconsin, and for your listeners who aren't familiar with Mosinee, Mosinee is just south of Wausau in Marathon County. I was born and raised there, went to high school there, graduated from Mosinee High School. Um, I went off to college. I got a business degree over in Minnesota, Um, ended up going to law school out in West Virginia. Started my practice in uh, Pittsburgh, actually. It didn't take me long to realize um, how great it was to grow up in central Wisconsin. And particularly, I come from a smaller community where everybody is is sort of a, a big family. I knew I wanted to raise a family of my own someday, and really could think of no better place to do it than Central Wisconsin. So I ended up um, coming back to the area in 2011. After I moved back, you know, I was focused on on my career and and trying to get going in the private sector and. I still work in the private sector full-time today. Uh, You know, as I mentioned, I was born and raised in Mosney, and I noticed the community had grown stagnant. Didn't seem to be the same community I left. For that reason, I started getting involved. That included going to city council meetings and sitting in the back, uh, oftentimes the only member of the public that was there. Went for uh, quite some time to all their meetings, all their committee meetings, really started taking an interest in some of the issues at the local government level. 2015, I decided to run for mayor of Mosny, and uh, it was a great experience. I got out and knocked on all the doors, talked to residents, and built a platform uh, by listening to my constituents. And uh, was very successful in that election, and I've been just honored to serve as mayor of Mosny since 2015. I'm on my fourth term, actually. We have two-year terms. I've also served on our uh, Marathon County Board as a supervisor and some great work there uh, had some great committee assignments made some great friends and partnerships uh, that's where we are at today I still serve as the mayor of Mosinee I still practice law full-time in central Wisconsin I'm part owner in my law firm live uh, um, in Mosinee with my wife of it'll be seven years the day before the primary happily married we have a five and a half month old at home so that makes life interesting that's a, a little bit about me and my professional background and uh, personal background for your listeners
0: well thanks so much for sharing all that that sounds great and a a five-and-a-half month old that's got to be interesting campaigning for Senate in a very large district which is a huge district
1: It is geographically very, very large and a lot of um, different communities to make it to. I am fortunate to have my number one supporters, my wife. Um, She is 100% behind me, has sacrificed so much for me to get into this race. Uh, Particularly, you know, at the time I announced, uh, my uh, daughter was just uh, a couple days over a month old. So, you know, it was certainly a challenging time to decide to take on a task like running for the state Senate. But I knew it was the right choice uh, for a lot of reasons that hopefully we can get into as to why I think I would serve the constituents of the 29th very well in Madison. It just felt like we were at a time here in Wisconsin and, in fact, in our country where we need leaders who are willing to stand up, um, who have a strong conservative platform and are educated on the topics and want to just do good for the residents of the 29th. Well, Let's
2: jump into <laughs> what are some of the reasons that, or what do you see you being able to do as my state senator, because I live in the the northern part, I believe, of your district, the Hayward area. And, you know, we have some unique issues here. And what, what do you see as being able to help <coughs> us survive the high cost of gas, high cost of food, and the fact that we can't always get any food?
1: Right. And uh, a lot of those problems, too, um, plague us uh, down here in Marathon County, where we're um, somewhat more populated. Uh, we're, we're battling record high gas prices. We're battling inflation. We're battling, uh, I personally am battling, finding baby formula on the shelves uh, my wife and I have struggled in fact the past week just to find baby formula and we were down to one can we had to order online directly through uh, Gerber and pray that it gets here by uh, Thursday it's expected you know to, to keep our stock up it's just it's scary times and we live in a beautiful country where you know we're an economic superpower and it doesn't seem like we're performing like one so to answer your question a lot of the problems up there I I suspect, are ones that, that folks throughout the country share. But you have some unique problems, uh, some of that being to do with geography. I mean, folks up in uh, the northern part of our state, I suspect and I know from talking to folks up there, deal with issues like uh, finding qualified workers, finding workers, period. You deal with uh, trying to move your economy forward in a very rural part of our state. You know, you also deal with you're no stranger to drug problems um, up in the northern part of our state that are tearing families apart. I know that from actually making a six-hour round-trip drive up to Hayward just to have one meeting uh, with Judge Yackel. I sat down and talked with him about his caseload, the problems he sees in the system, you know, transcend the community and and plague the community. So there are many, many things I'd like to work on to help the people in northern Wisconsin. Uh, One of them, to help the economy, uh, which would help you folks just like many others, is repeal the personal income tax. We are a state that is struggling to compete economically with states like Florida, states like Texas that don't have a personal income tax. And why that's important is because you have many, many small businesses up there that, you know, if you go to your bar restaurant, if you go to your local salon, these folks are limited liability companies or limited liability partnerships. They're not stockholders with, or a corporation with stockholders. Because of that, the income that they make passes through to their personal income tax return and they pay tax on that. Actually, they have to pay uh, even more tax because they have to pay double a FICA tax. The more that they're taxed, the less they can do in terms of hiring people, in terms of expanding their business and putting more money in their pocket to move it through the economy up there. That's why I intend to work on day one. It's not going to happen overnight to slowly cutting and eventually eliminating our personal income tax in the state of Wisconsin so we can be an economic competitor again. And I also uh, talked in this campaign about backing the badge. Uh, You'll hear a lot of candidates uh, talk about backing the badge. Well, to to me, it's personal. I mean, I have family members who have served and are still to this day serving in law enforcement. The drug problem is real. I talked uh, about this when I was recently up in Hayward talking uh, or near Hayward. (laughs) We were In a neighboring community, I believe, talking about some of the issues to residents up in northern Wisconsin. And on Fourth of July weekend, I rather than relax and kick back, I decided to ride along with one of our drug units here in Marathon County. Uh, The drug problem is real in Wisconsin, and it's even more real, I think, in the rural parts of our district because drug dealers and people who are peddling street drugs look for smaller communities where there's not uh, as large of a law enforcement contingent, there's not as many resources in terms of a drug unit, and there's housing that is affordable to the tune of paying cash that, They can operate a drug uh, platform out of. We need to get resources up in your area to combat that problem because it fuels crime. It breaks up families. It's just an an overall major problem. And I intend to invest not only in our law enforcement, but also in our court system. Can Put more cops on the streets, but then you need more prosecutors. If you have more prosecutors, you need more judges. I intend to look at the entire system. And I have experience doing that because I've run a city, a small city that deals with the same problems. I have um, vice-chaired the Public Safety Committee for Marathon County which deals with the sheriff's department, the court system, the prosecutor's office. So I have experience in working on those issues, and it really comes down to there needs to be more support from the state of Wisconsin. So I'd like to work on your economy. I'd like to work on your public safety, really make northern Wisconsin a safe and prosperous place to be again. Well,
0: that sounds like you've got uh, a lot on your plate already and that you're already thinking way ahead of after the primary. And I'm not sure if you have anyone running in the Democrat seat. Why don't you tell our guests why you think we should vote for you set apart from your the two people who are running against you in the primary.
1: You know on top of that you mentioned it uh, with respect to suicides there's a mental health crisis that's plaguing the state and the country and a lot of that existed before but was exacerbated by COVID-19 and the shutdowns you know I can comment on further at some point but were really, in my opinion, um, quite a mistake in how it was handled by our governor at the time. We have to learn from history to make sure that we're not in that position again. But to distinguish myself from my primary opponents, I have two in the race, um, a gentleman from the central Wisconsin area as well, very near to my community and a gentleman from Ladysmith. I have always, uh, when asked this question, if you don't campaign positively, uh, you know, it's unfortunate. I think it's a sign of desperation to go negative. Um, I will not do that. Um, in fact, in our, in our party, um, we have a commandment, so to speak, that thou shall not speak ill of another Republican. And I just, I I simply won't, but I will distinguish myself on, um, the positive notes, and that's experience and a platform. I believe the candidate in the race with the most experience. As I mentioned, I've successfully run a um, community for the past seven and a half years, or just shy of that since April of 2015. I've gained the trust and confidence of my constituents to be reelected four times. Uh, re-elected three times, elected um, the first time and then re-elected three times. I've gained their trust to serve on the Marathon County Board. In addition to that, I have a lot of committee assignments in those roles. I chair a planning commission, which deals with land use decisions. I've chaired a fire district, which is made up of several small townships and the city of Mosney. We have to deal with fire and EMS problems and issues at the local level. And I've, uh, as I mentioned, vice chaired a public safety committee that deals with the court system, the DA office, the sheriff's department. This experience that I've gained over the last seven plus years is going to be, I think, very beneficial to the 29th Senate district residents. And it distinguishes me from my competitors. I mean, they don't have that experience to talk about in this primary. And I also feel like I have a solid platform. I've tried to stay positive and I have not heard as definitive a platform from my primary competitors. I mean, my platform's always been clear. That's back the badge, which I've talked about, get us back to work. And this state by overhauling our unemployment insurance system, get our economy moving forward by things like repealing the personal income tax, cutting property taxes. I am very pro-life, having a just over five-month-old at home. I was the first candidate in the race endorsed by Wisconsin Right to Life. I'm very pro-Second Amendment. I've earned the highest rating from the National Rifle Association that can be given to a candidate who has not served in state office before. Those are things you're going to see me work on. I would be remembered if I didn't mention school choice. I have been an advocate for universal school choice in the state of Wisconsin, so people at any income level can decide if they're not happy with the education their son or daughter is receiving in the public system to move their children out of that and into another option. I will be an advocate for school choice at any income level in the state of Wisconsin. And those are some key parts of my platform. I haven't heard a definitive platform necessarily from my competitors. I think that's important. That's a a distinguishing characteristic. Those are the things I believe sets us apart, and I hope that'll resonate with the voters in the August 9th primary. You
2: had mentioned about getting rid of the personal income tax and lowering our property taxes. What would you do, or have you got a plan to supplement, keep that revenue stream coming from somewhere (coughs) to support the state?
1: Right. Um, There's a lot of people that like to talk about repealing the personal income tax. You know, it's an adult question and an adult answer that's necessary because uh, over half of the state's revenue and the general general purpose fund comes from the personal income tax. So as I mentioned at the beginning, that's not something that's going to happen overnight. It's going to take slow repeals over time. And that's not because I don't want to get to the finish line fast, but it's practical that this has to be done in increments. And one thing I have as first target is moving to a flat tax in the state of Wisconsin. A flat tax of something, for instance, like 3% would flatten all rates to 3%. You know, depending on how many exemptions you want to could cost anywhere from 3.8 uh to just under $5 billion annually. Now, when you're talking about a state budget that's um, well over $80 billion biannually at this point, that's something that is doable. As the benefit of moving incrementally um, with something like starting with working towards a flat tax to an eventual full repeal, is that as these cuts come into place, the science of economics should tell us that our economy should grow, right? That's why we're doing it. And with that, we should see increased revenues in the state in the form of sales tax. If you think about it, I've always looked at it as though a dollar that's kept in my pocket rather than paid to the government for the bureaucracy, um, the elected bodies to decide what's most appropriate. I think it's more beneficial to our economy when I have that dollar in my pocket to decide how to use it. Because if I have an extra dollar, I'm going to do things with that uh, that's going to benefit others. I'm going to go out to eat an extra night than I uh, might not typically do. I might make improvements to my house that benefits the small businesses. Maybe it's time to update this, that, or the other thing around the house that benefits another small business in my community. They take the dollars and move it forward. You know, that's the velocity of money. And I think it's powerful. And I think as you start to leave more of it in uh, people's pockets, that it's going to just grow our economy and we will. See that supplemental revenue come in. You can't do it overnight, obviously, but you got to start taking incremental steps to let the economy grow as you start the repeal of the tax.
0: Can I clarify that just to be on the safe side here? Sure. When you're talking about, about eliminating the state income tax or you're talking about the personal property tax that businesses have to pay all the time?
1: Yeah, and I, it's, that's a, a good clarification. I'm, I'm actually talking about both in this campaign, but primarily um, what I was just discussing would be the personal income tax. However, you uh, do point out that we have, and it's rather convoluted and we're a bit of an anomaly to have it. We have a personal property tax in the state. So separate from the personal income tax, businesses, including myself, pay tax on personal property. So any property that's a tangible, movable item. Some of that's been repealed over time. In Governor Walker's last state budget, he repealed a section of that tax, but some of it still exists. It is convoluted, it's time consuming, and it's a a tax that's really not necessary on businesses. I was just talking to a business owner in, in Medford, a couple weeks ago that talked about how absurd it is as he goes through every item in his shop to start uh, calculating personal property tax on those items. Uh, That's something that's more manageable to look at repealing. What we have to deal with is local governments who are on the receiving end of that tax because that tax actually goes to the local government as opposed to the state and they have to find out at their level how they're going to make up the difference. In the past, the state's backfilled it but we have to get to a point where municipalities have to learn how to supplement. um, if that tax is going to be repealed because repealing it and backfilling it basically means the money still has to come from somewhere. In this instance, it's come from the state.
0: Well, thanks for clarifying that. (laughs) The other issue I think up north is uh, broadband. There's a couple programs that have gone on and I know there's grant money for areas, but I don't think they're being used up in the north in some areas as well as others. And I know Shirley has issues with her broadband many times.
1: Yes, very true. Actually at Marathon County during my time on the board down here, we invested substantially in attempting to expand broadband, including partnering with some private entities. um, And we've made progress on that. The bigger issue, quite honestly, and I appreciate the question because I was thinking about it last night, broadband comes down to one thing, that money. It's expensive um, to lay the lines. It's expensive to run them at times. Obviously, land acquisition um, may have to be considered to run the lines. That all comes down to funding, right? One of the issues that is troublesome is getting grant money. I mean, you have to have somebody that's really good at writing the grants. They're highly competitive. At the federal level, It's this is more a question for your U.S. congressman um, or your U.S. senator. The Federal Communications Commission um, certainly allocates uh, grant money through a program for broadband expansion. <laughs> As one article put it, you probably have a better chance at getting your son or daughter into Harvard than <laughs> actually securing <laughs> grant money from the FCC under their rather strict requirements. I think the The state needs to step up. Um, The state has been putting some investment, some dollars at it, but it's not enough. You know, I'm not a big fan of government spending. I am a fan of spending when it's done to um, create more economic activity. And look at some of the rural farmers in even my area that um, have a hard time getting onto Wi-Fi to upload things for their business because they just don't have that connection. They're trying to rely on a dish service with um, a limited amount of capacity you know it affects their business it wastes their time their children um, who in this day and age get a lot of their materials online as opposed to a good old-fashioned textbook rely on internet and we really need to find a way. No one should have to send their son or daughter to sit outside um, a Starbucks or a, a McDonald's and, and try and use their Wi-Fi to uh, get their schoolwork done. And that's it, what it really comes down to is the state is going to have to seriously consider in the next state budget. Are we going to do window dressing with broadband and throw a little bit here, a little bit there? Or are we going to really get aggressive on this and move forward? Geography's destiny. And we are a very rural state when you get uh, north of central Wisconsin. And we have to just put the money where the mouth is on that one. And I certainly intend to be an advocate for rural broadband expansion when I'm in the legislature. And that's a bipartisan issue. Um, There should be no partisanship about that um, and investing in broadband.
2: Going with the broadband and the schools, how did you feel when COVID hit and we closed the schools down. And of course, some of our students didn't have broadband to be able to continue with online education. I see now in many areas that they're bringing masks back or demanding masks be worn inside. Uh, one case, I just got an email from my granddaughter who's in the Navy and uh, in San Diego, and they're making them wear masks to the base every day. Yeah. So how do you feel about the whole COVID issue in the schools?
1: It was uh, extremely poorly handled. When you look back, starting in early 2020 through what we had deal with initially you shut the schools down and you feel a mental health crisis among our students when you take people out of interaction with their classmates at that stage of their life, you are doing so much mental harm to them. Then, as we went on, you know, the science told us—at least the science I look at—that the usefulness of masks in preventing the transmission of COVID was simply not there. It wasn't supported by the science to continue to have these children wear masks, to require their parents to wear masks. I mean, I think the da- some of the damage hasn't even been seen yet. You know, I think of my uh just over five month old at home i had to wear a mask um the first time she saw my face i had a mask on right because i was in the hospital and it was required for me to be there to have it on what if i was the person who had to have the mask on all the time Uh, i was told they had to have the mask on all the time as she grows and develops she's not wearing our face and that's scary right and i totally disagree with the way that that was handled and then you move outside the school system you look at our economy and the damage that was done by shutting down businesses some people lost lifelong dreams businesses that they uh dedicated everything to lost and now those that have survived uh have trouble
2: did we lose him i think so oh no oh yes
0: (laughs) technology hopefully well he should understand it
2: because you know he just got lost yeah
0: i think so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah well, we always have a good time doing this don't we? he if was on want, a roll too if he can hear us i know he was on a roll and that was good on too. A roll, Hi, Brent. you
2: were doing
1: fantastic <laughs> can you, yes yeah are you, there? Are you can oh. you hear, hear me now oh <laughs> yeah. yes absolutely okay i uh i apologize um no uh, it's okay some, i'm using my phone and um somebody tried calling me and um, so we had a brief interruption there, and I apologize for that. And and I assure you, it had nothing to do with broadband. <laughs> <laughs> That's but, what I said. I said, um,
2: "See, now he knows about broadband."
0: Yep, yes. <laughs>
1: However, um, I think where I may have uh, left off was I was transitioning to talk about the effect of the shutdowns and the way COVID was approached with the school system, but I was talking about our economy. Beyond the school system, think of the economic damage that was done in our uh, state when the approach that was taken by our governor in shutting down businesses. Some people lost lifelong dreams, businesses they'd put everything into to uh, move forward. And for those that Survived this day, they're suffering from the worker shortage from people who are energized to come back into the workforce because of all the government benefits that were given away. Unfortunately, I think for some it created a mentality of laziness as opposed to work ethic. I mean, look at the service industries. You know, the bar, restaurants. They depend on uh, younger staff. Some of these people are, you know, college or high school kids that are working in summers or after school. They just seem to not. be as energized anymore to get back into the workforce. Uh, And I think a lot of that had to do with the shutdown and the mentality that it created to send a message that, well, government will take care of you in tough times. That just shouldn't be the dependence that we have and the mindset that we have. So I completely disagree with the way our governor handled the shutdown. He did a lot of damage to the state, some of which remains to be seen. Um, Certainly if I'm in office, I want to ensure that something like that never happens again.
0: That's where I kind of want to make sure anyone that I put my support behind or vote for has to definitely say that this is never going to happen again. We cannot shut down. We are hearing, like Shirley just said, about masks being implemented. And
2: this is, I believe in all military installations. I don't think it's just the one in San Diego. Oh, no, um, I'm
0: sure it is. I mean, it, you it, want to
2: join the, you know, the military and then you got to go to work every day and wear a mask. Um, And they all had to get vaccinated. I mean, my um granddaughter, you know, took the vaccination when she didn't want to. If she didn't take it, she was going to get discharged.
1: Right. You know, I have had people in my community. I mean, I have a uh, a sibling that owns a small bar restaurant. You know, he had to let people go during that time frame. He tried to support them, but uh, they just, they, they lost so much. I had friends in our community that started hair salons, gyms, bar restaurants, just ruined by the way that our governor approached the situation. And I remind folks, you know, quite honestly, that remember the reason we went back into business in May of 2020 was because of a lame duck Supreme Court justice. The state Supreme Court opened businesses back up in May 2020, but it was a 4-3 split vote. It wasn't Brian Hagedorn that um, got us over the finish line. He actually voted with the liberal contingent of the court. It was Justice Daniel Kelly, an amazing jurist who unfortunately in April of 2020 lost his seat, but he was still on the bench until the expiration of his term in August. And it was his vote that opened up businesses again in the state of Wisconsin. Had it not been for that, we would have been shut down for a very long time.
0: Well, I think what's really sad about all of it is that it was made political. It wasn't about science. It wasn't about the data. It wasn't really about what was going on. It was political. It was definitely a division. It's very, very sad to see that happen and ruin people's lives. I don't want to ever see that again. And I don't want to ever see businesses closed. If you don't want to go to that business because they didn't require a mask or they're open, then you didn't have to. If you want to, then you want to be able to do that. And And I just think it's wrong.
1: I I agree completely. And that was the approach that my community took as mayor. I mean, I did not overstep my bounds. Certainly there's state law that uh, would have allowed me technically to issue emergency orders at even the local level and shut things down. I didn't do that. Um, We were one of the only communities in central Wisconsin that attempted to carry on with life through that summer. We had our 4th of July festivities. People who felt Safe and attended, attended. We had other community festivities. We got through it. Um, In fact, we have a very conservative school board in my district that was one of the few in September 2020 that opened schools up in person. You know, I think that speaks a little bit to my experience and my background and the approach that I would take uh, because that's how I handled the pandemic in my community. I wasn't going to allow business owners to lose everything or children to suffer um, mental health crises by shutting down my community, which I I probably could have done if I really wanted to. And that was definitely not what we did.
0: Kudos for that. Is there anything that you have in particular that you would like to talk about?
1: Just to remind uh, voters of the August 9th primary, that's for Senate District 29. And I really encourage folks to do their research. um, In addition to to listening to this interview, which has been great, to uh, check out my website, which is jacobsonforsenate.com. So it's J-A-C-O-B-S-O-N for Senate.com. And we're also active on Facebook Post about issues, um, events that uh, we're going to be attending or having. so Facebook is a nice way to, to find us at Brent Jacobson for State Senate. Um, if listeners have questions that weren't answered during this program, uh, there is a contact form, of course, on our website. Please send us questions and or through Facebook. Some people like Facebook Messenger um, and I get questions on there. I'm more than happy to answer them. Make sure you're well-informed when you have to make a decision on August 9th, but I would be honored if you're listening to have your vote in the August 9th primary.
2: You've been listening to the Sherlyn Shirley Show, and we've had a nice interview with Brent Jacobson. So we are signing off. Everybody have a great day. Over and out.